Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I feel has a great story to tell or someone that has achieved something remarkable in their lives and through their story, hopefully get inspired myself or perhaps inspire you too. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad you could be here. Thanks to everyone that shared about the show this week. If you like the show and if you're comfortable to do it, please uh, pick up the phone you're listening to this on or if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, just click share in the app. If you're comfortable, just send it out to your network. Tell them what you're liking. Let them listen to it as well. Or if you're on the website, please just copy the URL into a tweet or a Facebook post. Just if you feel that you'd like the people that follow you to hear this as well, that would be really, really wonderful. Thanks to everybody that shared about the Falling Whistles episode. There is an event happening. It is happening in Sydney on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. Uh, it's in Double Bay. Um, follow me on Twitter at Osher Ginsburg or follow at Falling Whistles for more information. But there is a shindig playing um, tomorrow night, Tuesday night. It's in Double Bay. Um, more information, can, uh, just follow me on Twitter and I'll, I'll let you know. This week's been pretty good. I'm sitting here, I'm in, I'm in Surrey Hills in the inner city of Sydney right now. It's a perfect, perfect summer's morning. Um, I can hear Roy Ayres, everybody loves the sunshine, drifting up the street from one of my neighbours. Um, as the wind kind of rustles through the eucalypts and it's just pretty amazing. I've got a dog panting at my feet. We've just been playing ball in a park. It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Yoga was good this morning. Nova, I'm doing breakfast radio at Nova 969 in Sydney at the moment, which has been great. It's an amazing team. I'm working with an incredible woman by the name of Rachel Finch. Man, she's got her shit together for someone who's 25, let me tell you. Um, to quote James Matheson, I was still bumping into things when I was that age. Um, she's got it all going on. She's so disciplined, so disciplined. And it thrills me to see just how completely committed to perfection and exceptionalism she is. And it's just a delight to be around. And I'm, I'm thrilled and just stoked to be working with her. I'm going to try and get her on the show because uh, she's just great to be around. 
my anxiety is doing pretty good. Um, I think I do well with routine, to be honest. <laughs> um, I know that I'm doing breakfast radio, but I think in reality, I'm doing a three-week yoga retreat with a session of breakfast radio in the morning <laughs> because I, I get in from when we've finished planning the next day's show and I'll usually hit a noon class or, or a 4 p.m. class and just sweat through my eyeballs and hitting the mat is just... I'm finding just just peace between the breaths. You know, sometimes it's just that little space between the inhale and the exhale. Sometimes it's a whole breath cycle, but just those tiny little moments where the grip releases is just, I don't know, it's like letting air down in a tire that's overinflated. It, it just really, really helps. It helps so, so, so much. Um, and as well, when you're trying to stand up into a bird of paradise, um, it, it's kind of hard to think about imaginary things that are frightening you <laughs> which has been good i'm always on twitter at osher ginsburg is where you can find me i'm also on facebook just search osher ginsburg you'll find me there look i'm stoked stoked to bring you this episode today we're talking with jet thank you I've, i'm so protected there's a spoodle here keeping me safe um, today I'm speaking with Jet Wilkinson. She is a legendary Australian TV director. This woman has directed hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of episodes of Neighbours, Home and Away, Wonderland. You have watched her creative vision come to life, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Murder, the list of people that she has called action on reads like a who's who of Australian actors for the last two decades. We get into how she started her career, which in itself is a brilliant tale of persistence. She's simply just a wonderful, a wonderful human being a wonderful human being who has found such peace in her life despite astonishing hardship and challenges. I draw such inspiration from her. I'll, I'll just let the story unfold because it's, it's just mind-blowing what she's achieved in her life. And if I could achieve a quarter of the things that she's achieved, I would be the ruler of the world. She's at Jet Wilkinson on Twitter. Uh, if you find yourself moved or inspired in any way listening to her story, please tweet her. Let her know that you heard her here. She's a great and powerful woman. And I say we can never have enough great and powerful women in our lives. I can't wait for you to meet Jet. Let's go. My guest today is the brilliant Australian TV and film director Jet Wilkinson. We talk about what it's like directing over 300 episodes of Home and Away, Neighbours and Wonderland. What makes regular actors superstars, her struggles with racism, gender identity and sexual identity. And the incredible story of how she was rescued as a baby from the fall of Saigon by a suburban Sydney housewife. Jet Wilkinson. So you're unreal. Let me just get back. I'm so excited to have you here and, and to be a guest on this show because this is like in many ways, this is a show I always wanted to do. And since I met you, you've always been one of the most fascinating people in my life. And oh. th no, really, um, I would like to start talking about why you're here, mm -hmm. your incredible television directing work. I would like to talk about how you came to be here in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an unbelievable story that I can't wait for people to hear. And then um, we might wrap up with some work stories. You are 
you are responsible for pretty much, I don't know, some massive percentage of the cornerstone pop cultural moments in this country's <laughs> television history. Do you think about that? Sometimes I do. Sometimes, if, you know, we all sort of start out with these sort of dreams of changing the world with groundbreaking sort of film and then you sort of, you're working on Home and Away and you kind of think, is this where I wanted to be? And then you kind of go, yeah, it is because there's so many people out there overseas in the world that a show like that touches and a show like that brings so much joy to. And you go, yeah, this is cool. I'm happy with this because, you know, you can touch so many people's lives and affect so many people's lives. And certainly with Twitter now, with Twitter, it's sort of every, everyone and everything is so accessible. You have people across the world tweeting you about something you're shooting at Palm Beach. You're going to go, this does have an impact. And you feel that impact with things like social media. So... I think social media has opened up our eyes to how much Home and Away has affected people, you know, across across the seas. You've been working on this show, though, for, like, particularly with Home and Away, because you'd worked on Home and Away before I met you. We worked together at Channel V for a period, about mm. two years? Three, I think. Two, 2000, oh, I'm not sure. 2002 to 2005, I think we oh, were. Oh, God, I was insane. We were all insane. We were no, so I had just broken up with my ex-girlfriend and it was right just before I'd gone full-time with the woman that was to be my wife. I was out of my mind. <laughs> but, like, do you, sit, do you lie in bed at night and go, I've made 200 episodes of Neighbours and 100 and something <laughs> episodes of Home and Away and, you know, people, these people are household names because I called action. Uh, no, not at all because it's such a team process. You know, you're part of a huge... Um, Machine, I suppose, and I think anyone that comes into that place with any type of huge, huge ego won't last. And I think that's why I've been able to go back and back and back because you realise that you you work with so many amazing people, and you and there's an element of being just a wouldn't want to say a link in a chain, but certainly part of a a bigger picture. But I certainly feel privileged to have been a part of it, to have worked with all those people, and certainly to be a part of shows that sort of harvest a great new talent as well, you know, and you kind of go, I remember you when you were green and brand new and now you're like being amazing overseas and that's totally cool. It's kind of like giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do want to talk a bit about that. I do want to talk about some of the household namey people that, mm-hmm. that you've worked with and, you know, before and afters and what it's like to see them on movie posters and stuff like that. But I'd like to get to know, I never knew how you came to be a director. You just yeah. turned up at Channel V and they said, here's, this, <laughs> here's Jet. I was like, wow, she's got a cool name. <laughs> she's got cool hair. And she's like, hot Asian babe, that's awesome. <laughs> and she's going to be working with you on, channel, on, on what you want, doing the live show. I was like, rad. But I never bothered to ask you, how did you become a director at what I'm guessing was pretty young age? Yeah, I was young at the time. Yeah, I think I was about 25, 26. 26, they're giving you the keys to home and away. I think so. I think that, I think that was around about the time. Um, I mean, I had worked on home and away. I, I, I went straight from school to uni and uni was like an arts degree because back in my day – or just where I came from. I just didn't know of a place called NIDA. I didn't know of a place called AFTRS. So the 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 journey was go to go to uni. So I went to uni, as my parents asked me to, did an arts degree, which they didn't want me to do. Um, came out going, what am I going to do? And I just called home and away every week, every week leading up to 
um, knowing I was going to finish, I just called them every Monday. And they go, hey, Jet, yeah, hi, Jet, no, still nothing. How'd you get the number? Literally from the white pages, 9877777. You remember it? Yeah, oh, totally. Well, that's still the number. You called Channel 7. Mm, switchboard. And, and asked, said, hi, I'm Jet. Yep. I'm finishing up a degree. I'm really interested in TV production. What, can you remember what you used to say? I, I, I remember actually my very, very first job was with Southern Star with John Edwards when they were making Police Rescue and they were making a show called Echo Point at the time, which yeah. was a five-day-a-week serial. Yeah. And they just needed a helping hand. I literally picked up the white pages back in the day of white pages, no Google, nothing, did the whole search for, I think it was literally television production company, found Southern Star, had never heard of them before, cold call, told them, yep, finishing uni, this is, you know, do you need any, anyone to make tea or coffee, anything? And they said, we actually do, come on in. Wow. So for two days a week before I finished uni, I went and um, put in script amendments and answered Gary Sweet's fan mail yeah. um, for police rescue. And then I got the job as run on home and away after many, many calls. So there's people at home with an autographed 8 by 10 of Gary Sweet in your handwriting? <laughs> I don't think I'd sign for him, but I think I you know, put the thing in the envelope and a little compliments card or something like that. But, um, yeah, so it was literally just cold calling and I started out as a production runner. Um, now, a production runner, for people that don't know, is like there's a big set, there's 150 people and they're mm, all busy so mm. they can't go and get stuff. Yep. So there's a pair of hands and a pair of feet that are yep. attached to a human being that we pay, I don't know, four bucks an hour. Yeah, I was so excited. I've still got my little contract, $450 a week gross Back in 1995, I was so excited that I was going to get all that money for me. And my dad said, you're not going to get all that money because you know you get taxes. I don't care. Even if I bring home $200, all for me. I was so excited. It was like I had made it. Like it was the best thing I ever And you're doing, what, 14-hour days? Yeah, I was doing long days, but I didn't care. I loved it. You know, that's the same thing now. You know, you do 12, 14-hour days, but you never feel it because you – kind of hanging out with really cool people at the beach or doing playing pretends it's, yeah, and yeah. you get paid for it. How old were you? Back then, well, I was 20. I was 20. 20. Um, yeah. or 21. That's when I started in radio. And I was like, you don't mind doing those kind of hours. No. If you find something that you're really into doing, you'll do it yeah. all day. Oh, totally. I've got to stop and sleep. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> we, but you, it doesn't feel like work when you love doing what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you know that there's so many people out there wanting your job. You, you actually thank the universe every day that you are where you are mm. and you've got what you've got, you know. And so with this under your belt, you're calling, what's that number again? Nine eight triple seven triple seven. man. Like that's still the number. It was a switchboard. Just like, hi, can I speak to someone at Home and Away? And I don't know why I approached Home and Away. I suppose because I watched it. That was the show I watched every night, you know. I remember when I it was, came on for the first night and the theme song started and the waves were crashing. I was like, oh, my God, I love this show. Now I was like, Totally working on it and yeah. totally meeting all the people. And and so, at what point did they relent? How many years was it? Two years you spent calling them every Monday? Oh, it wasn't, wasn't years. It was sort of, you know, probably months or something. And then finally one day they said, actually, Jet, we were going to call you. We do have something coming up. Do you want to come in? So I did go in and the rest is history. I mean, I remember they saying, look, you know, it's carrying heavy scripts up the steps, is that all right? I said, yeah, that's all right because I work at Woolies and I pack shelves and I lift, lift heavy boxes. It's totally cool. I'd love to do it. And they said, ever since I said that, I had the job. 
Wow. And so did you work your way up the hierarchy uh, mm. of like second AD, first AD? I went up to a second. Um, I should like, for people to know, there's a director that we all see in like when you watch Entourage or whatever, there's like, hey, in action. Mm. Well, there's the director always has to be the good guy usually on set. And so for someone to be the bad guy, stop talking, put that down, get <laughs> over here, get on set. That's the first AD. That's yeah. the first assistant director. Their job is to kind of police things. And the second assistant director is like, another a longer arm of the first assistant director so the second assistant director is the one that goes and, and rounds up the extras yeah. and says stop bloody texting <laughs> get on set the first date like they now 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 they crack the whip and then the director goes hey guys yeah. I'm so stoked you're here <laughs> whereas we all like now I know the first the director goes to the first and the second goes get those lazy motherfuckers on set now <laughs> but, you know, it helps. that's so true that's, what, that's how it yeah. works yeah, it's, it's so works. true. But good, good ads like uh, uh, allow you to be able to do that because sometimes, and I've done it where I've got talent so stressed that they've turned up on set and started to cry. Mm. With the first ad saying to me, "Don't bring me an actor who's going to cry. Like, don't ever do that again." And that was a huge lesson learned. You know, you just sort of you've got to be the calming force outside the studio and greet everybody. And so, hang on, you're saying that you once brought an actor to set that was. So stressed, they started crying when yeah. they got to set. And the yeah. first AD said to you, as the second AD, yeah. it's your job to calm them down. Yeah, it's your job never to bring me an actor in tears because well, we had to send that actor back out to the makeup chair and yeah. it was another 45 minutes rebuild. Mm. So I co- co- totally stuffed up that link in the chain. But well, what, you're you 21, learn. that's what's what you do. I was a baby. I was just, I was like such a, like one of my first days and I was like, didn't know the rules. Yeah. So do you remember the first day that? It was it was you, and it says D-I-R, Jack Wilkinson on the slate. Yeah, to- I totally remember. I was I was training. Because those shows always had such great pun-named episodes. It was that Neighbours. Neighbours had the pun-named <laughs> yeah, episodes, yeah. like horrible pun names. Yes, Neighbours did have those names. I think they've just gone to numbers now, which oh, yeah. is like 6,000 and something. Yeah. Um, but the Home and Away episode, do you remember it? I, I don't remember literally seeing the D-I-R there. Um, DRR stands for director. It's on the slate, the thing they go, and action, yep. and they clap it. Yeah. You write the director's name on it. Yeah. yeah. I remember my first block though, which was, so I'd finished my little training course and then I they'd sort of, okay, you can go forth now and have a block on your own, which was great. And a block is? A block of five episodes. Ah. So f- a full week of television. So ah. it's about two hours worth of screen time. Yeah. Um, and it was the... A season return. So in the season finale, this ferry had um, sunk and my episodes were The Search and Rescue. Okay, so The Search Not and Rescue. Not complicated <laughs> at all. We had helicopters, we had boats, we had dinghies, we had speedboats, we had the lot. And I get seasick. So I was out on a flat bottom boat and we went past the heads because it wasn't safe enough for us to be inside the heads, so the safety people thought it would be a good idea to go past the heads. Out of the open ocean. Great mm. idea. We had extras in life rafts. We had main casts in life rafts. We had speed boats looking for them, and we had helicopters looking for them, plus our camera boats. Uh, it was crazy. This flat-bottom boat was going up and down, up and down, and all I saw was just like the sea, the sky, the sea, the sky, and I was just feeling really ill. So I just would call action and then turn around and vomit into the water and then come back and, like, 
I didn't even know what was what had been done and just have to go again and again and again. In the end, they sent me off. They said, you're useless. You've just got to go back to shore. And I got a needle in my bum. I was just – someone else did something for an hour. I don't know what they did, but I was so ill. I'll never forget it. Um, but, you know, I was green in all ways as a director and as a sea, seaman. <laughs> yeah. Green around the gills in, <laughs> yes. in, in, in every way. Yeah. It got better. It got better. What's a, what's a week – like when you're doing that kind of show can you give people an idea of your your day-to-day i mean like people i guess they turn on the telly they're having their dinner they're watching home and away while they're having the te- watching the telly and it's you know they're my friends they're just hanging out in the cafe oh mm. there's alf he's doing that thing but what's the what's the actual week like do you shoot an episode a week how does it work it's we in well it was something like home and away it's there's so much going on. You've got a location crew shooting location of one block. You've got a studio crew shooting studio of another block. You've got a preparation crew doing something for else, something so else. So at any one rehearsals. time, there's different stages of production going on for 15 separate episodes. Yeah, wow. yeah, at least. And then you've got post-production happening and mm. pre-production and pre-pre-production. It's, it's huge. It's quite a machine. It's a huge machine and it's very well oiled. It's like yeah. a... Runs like a dream because uh. people who've been working there now have been working there for years, and and the Seven Network do such well-oiled machine type of shows. Uh. Um, they run really really well. So when you're shooting though, it's crazy. So it's how so far out do you get the script, and then, and, you, and how far out do you start thinking, oh, that's going to be a two shot? Mm, yeah, gonna... yeah. You, you get your scripts. So I think on the Monday you have a, a script meeting on the Wednesday. And then you start prepping with all your crew on the next week, do location surveys and just walk around the beach and kind of go, we're going to do it here, I'm going to do it there. And you sort of talk about how you visualise what's going to happen. Mm. And then the next week you're shooting, skates on, you're shooting. So it's a really short pre on these type of shows. Bigger shows or, or different shows have a longer pre. It just depends on what show you do. You know? And like, so when, you sh- when you're doing those shooting weeks... Uh, how long? How long are the days, and and what do the days feel like? Shooting weeks are long. Shooting weeks are generally ten hour shoot. So depending on the travel, you're looking at a twelve hour day. Um, but as I said, it's, you don't. I don't feel it. Like yeah. you, you, I'm I'm up at you know four thirty sometimes five o'clock to get to Palm Beach by six or seven, and you're home with peak hour traffic seven thirty eight o'clock to do it again the next day. Yeah. Wow. But. The what you receive in return is to sit at Palm Beach and watch the sunrise with a catered breakfast and really cool people and talk about music and talk about films and talk about television shows, talk about books you've read. That's, cool action. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like Moving on. Yeah, it's just like hanging out with really cool people and getting paid for it. Yeah, but to be honest, you've gotten so good. It's like... When you first learned to drive, yeah. you couldn't. No one could talk to you. You couldn't talk to someone in the car. I had to turn the radio off. Yeah. I'm concentrating on driving this manual vehicle. Yeah. It was like 50 billion things going in my brain. It was super, super, super hard. Now I'll text two phones and drive yeah. with my knees. Yeah. Not that that's legal, but <laughs> I do it um, because I've gotten so good at the other stuff. Yeah. It's like uh, with radio, with paneling. When you're sitting there in, in a radio station, you hear all the mm. noises. Back in the day, it's automated now, but I used to have to push all those buttons myself and, yeah. and work a massive panel of like 20 faders. Yeah. Um, the whole idea is you get to the point where you're just so good at that, it just it goes down into subconscious yeah. and then you get to focus and you get to operate purely from a creative perspective. And then when you need those skills, you just know they're there, they're all, 
you're almost like an automaton when it comes to those yeah, things. Yeah. So while you're saying I'm just hanging out, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're hanging out on top of tens of thousands of hours of knowing how to do it. Yeah, I think there's certainly, the, as you say, the, the more you do it, the more relaxed you are with it. And the, I think the more you believe in yourself and the more you trust yourself and other people, so much comes, yeah. you know. Um, amazing. So mm. I, I guess... You know, when, when I think about that, when I think about the end of your day, you know, you've travelled back from... Now, for folks who aren't from Sydney, Palm Beach is, is right at the very end of this very long, spindly piece of land at the very, very north of Sydney. There's a lot of rich white people up there. Um, <laughs> there's the house... The street's called Millionaire's Road. Mm, um, mm. It's super peaceful. Um, if it weren't for Home and Away's yeah. production, I don't know what else would go up on, on up there. Mm. Um, but to drive back from there to where Jet lives in um, Newtown, kind of yeah. in, in, in a west of Sydney, yeah. that, is a, that is brutal. That it's, is traffic up there with anywhere in the world. Mm, it's a long way. People go there for ho- – people actually have their holiday houses there. So It's that far. But it's still in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So at the end of that day, do you even get time to watch any telly? Like what t- when do you get time to watch TV and what TV do you, do you love to watch? Um, when I come home at those on those days, I just shower – and just yeah no I do I sit in front of the telly and just zone out. By that time I don't know I don't even know what's on. I generally love to watch those music um, competition shows because it's great sort of entertainment. Yeah. Um, but if I was to watch dramas, I would watch like Breaking Bad or you know True Blood or um, Homeland stuff like that. But we do them in you know big runs you know box sets or. All right, Whatever, you so you, you binge out. You're not like up to date on Breaking Bad. I am up to date on Breaking Bad. That blew my mind. Oh, my that, God. I, yeah. By the I, time this goes to air, I here's the thing about Breaking Bad, and <laughs> I have this argument with the guys I play poker with. If you're watching Breaking Bad, I consider it a social responsibility to be up to date. <laughs> you can't be the one who goes, I don't say anything. I'm only up to episode two. It's like, well, suck shit yeah. because... Walter's in the car getting shot at and the Nazis are coming and that's what's about to happen. And he's been on the phone with Skylar and I'm going to tell you what he said to Skylar. God damn it. I'm not, I have to talk about this. Yeah, or get off Twitter and stop complaining because they always go, stop talking oh, about it. that's when you're Twitter. actually meeting people. Mm. Like, and like, honestly, the other night at poker, three blokes got up and left the table. Yeah, right. In the middle of a hand because we started talking about the Breaking Bad. They need to be watching it. They need to be IQing oh, God, that shit. I was like, you've got 42 minutes. <laughs> You spend that amount of time per week on the toilet. You yeah. can watch six minutes at a time. Yeah. <laughs> but how, just for a second, like as a director, when you watch that, oh. when you see Walter White rolling a barrel of money yeah. through the desert past the pair of pants that flew off the RV from episode one, <laughs> what do you think? When I, when I watch Breaking Bad, I just say this is how we make cinema on the television. This, these people have changed the way we can make television, the way we can tell stories on television. And something as simple as there's no recaps. No recaps. The amount of time we spend doing recaps on, you know, commercial television here. Previously. Yeah. On MCIS. I love the fact that they say, you motherfuckers can just watch the show and we're not going to spoon feed you anything. Go back to your DVDs, go back and do your research, but this is what's happening right now. We're not going to waste time with what's happened. If you're not up to date, then, it's, like you said, it's your responsibility. That to me says we trust you. You have brains. You will get all these nuances. You will get 
everything that we're putting, we're giving to you, you might even get some more. And that's, that's the type of television I would love to make, to kind of trust in an audience and try and sort of respect that an audience can work it out. It really rewards loyalty, that show. Yeah. Really rewards loyalty, yeah. that show. Yeah. I mean, I have to, yeah, I mean, I have to admit, like, I watched when he was rolling the barrel thing, this is fucking amazing television. This guy's rolling $8 million in a barrel across the desert. Where else have we seen that? Like, that's... But great. just that Vince Gilligan put the pair of pants that flew off the RV when yeah. he was escaping in the yeah. first episode. He put that pair of pants on the desert floor and he rolls the barrel past <laughs> the desert. And it's like, thank you, Vince. Yeah. You, yeah. You're rewarding me for having been here the yeah. whole time and been with you yeah. the whole time. Um, and you briefly mentioned Homeland. Um, something I can't get enough of that show. Mm. Um, as you know, I have a, a, a close affinity with Israeli formats. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, with my, my ex-wife brought in treatment from Israel to America and she, yeah, right. I got to watch her um, oversee that whole and, and be a part of that whole packaging process and yeah, she was right. like the first person to sell an Israeli format. Yeah. She was in the team that yeah, well. brought that first Israeli format to the US market and from there the floodgates just opened and yeah. things like Homeland yeah, right. came out of that. Homeland, Homeland was um, originally Israeli. Apparently the Israeli version is out of control. Yeah, right. Because if that's got, I saw the original Israeli version of In Treatment, it's called Bittipul, and mm-hmm. it is bonkers mm. compared to, like, the storylines are similar. Yeah. But you talk about an, uh, uh, a television uh, programming strategy that rewards and, and gives credit to the audience's yeah. um, uh, intelligence level. Yeah. There's a scene in the first season of In Treatment, this sums it up perfectly. Um, there's a season in the first season of In Treatment, there's a couple, uh, they're having a lot of trouble. Um, one of the characters, there's a couple, they're coming for couples therapy. She finds out she's pregnant in the middle of all of this and then it's, it stops being about can we stay together to should we get rid of the baby? Yeah, should right. we get rid of this? Like it's a really yeah. heavy, heavy scene. Um, in the American version, she loses the baby. In the Israeli version, she's sitting on the couch in the middle of it and she goes, oh, like she's been punched and she looks down and just blood on her jeans. And the final scene of that episode is the uh, therapist on his hands and knees with a bucket scrubbing his couch. Wow. And it just, it's like, we know you can handle this. This yeah. is how real this is. And, yeah. and the, the Israelis just are like, well, this is life. This, mm, is, this mm. is life on television. We're not protecting anyone. If you, don't, anybody, if you want to be protected, don't watch. Yeah. But I think that might be a testament to the type of countries, the difference in countries, isn't it? Because mm. I think what they've had to go through compared to what we've had to go through is... Did it blow your mind that they muted Hank saying, go fuck yourself, just before he's getting brutally... Uh, when Hank Schrader got shot? Did he say that? Did, he, did they mute that? Yeah, they bleated it out. Like, all this horrible violence and having Nazis destroy people and have heads blown off and all that kind of thing and putting small children in vats of acid is totally ace, but you can't say fuck. I am... Um, really? Oh, on the iTunes version that I got, oh. maybe on the Ameri- maybe on the version that you saw. Yeah, I've I've got the version the Foxtel like mm. you, and he said it. He said it good right. and well. Yeah. Well, on the iTunes version, they bleed it out. Why would they do that? Oh, it's America. It's really yeah. interesting. It's, it's quite a stuck up society for like, and I'll, you know, it's that's coming from Australia, an Australian point of view. Considering mm. from an Australian point of view, they're very, they're way more like for a company, a country that makes so much like really intense pornography, they're really freaked out about putting sex. <laughs> Anyway, um, now I did, before we would stop talking about directing, because there's so much I want to talk to you about, I once 
You know what I'm going to talk yeah, about. You know what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, I do. Um, just put that mic a little closer to you, darling. Mm. Uh, or you can pull it towards you. If you want to sit back, you can pull it towards you. It, it moves. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think it's a mark of one's uh, success in the Australian or any entertainment industry when you play yourself on a fictional television show. With Harold and Lou, no less. With the two stars, I played myself on an episode of Neighbours and Jet was directing. That was awesome. It was amazing for many reasons. One, <laughs> I got to see you I got to see you doing Channel V and like exploring live television, da da da. And you were very, very, very good at that. When I saw you directing, I was like, holy shit, this is what you do. Oh really? It was so amazing to watch you work. And I've been on a few sets since I and you know from working uh, from just watching Noah and, and being on set with Noah at Paramount and stuff like that. I've never seen anyone just so – it was just so happy and so joyous and faster than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> you moved so fast. <laughs> and it got me thinking – I'll talk a bit about being with Harold and Lou in a second. <laughs> um, but not everyone's going to direct a television show, all right? But there's people listening to this that have been in really high stressful situations. And let's just describe – you described a situation earlier when you are talking about the Home and Away episode. But say, for example, you're on a beach – you're losing light, there's 40 crew standing around, there's six people in the scene, there's a storm coming in, you've got uh, an actress, or an, you've got an actor that's throwing a hissy fit because the actress already has a boyfriend mm-hmm. um, and you still haven't got the take. How do you keep your cool? What do you do in that situation? I love those. First of all, they're the best situations. Like that's when I enjoy my job the most because the adrenaline is just running. I think you become so much more focused when you're under pressure because sometimes when it's a two-hander, walk and talk, you can start thinking about other things, start taking pictures and Instagramming. Actually, no, I don't do that, but I do. Um, Those high-pressure situations just make everyone sharper. Everyone is on high alert. Everyone is there to make it work. Um, Certainly the crew around you want to make it work. And if you've got actors who have issues or problems, you've just got to pull them in. You've just got to keep everyone focused on what we need to achieve here and now and just do it. And then sometimes you've just got to say, we've just got to do this. And you can be everyone's best friend and muck around, but they need a leader and they need someone to know when to actually pull everybody in and go, it's time. And I thrive on that type of pressure and I think that's why I am in the right job, you know what I mean? So, Because there's people that are going to, uh, you know, have that kind of day at work, mm. you know, when they're under that kind of, under, under the pump yeah. like that. Well, that's, a, that's the thing. You also say to yourself, no one's going to die. We're not brain surgeons. We're not, you know, reinventing the rocket ship. We're making a television show. Let's all snap out of it. Let's all just – I always always try and sort of – get people to realise that what we're doing is we're making television. It's fun. It's We don't need to sort of put so much pressure on ourselves that it's impossible, you know. And then I think when people get sight of what we can achieve and that we can do it. I used to always yell that just before. When I, I did some work on a, a music channel in the States called Access Live and inside the 10 count I was used to yell it out to the crew, we're making pop music TV, guys. Yeah. We're not digging ditches on the 101. <laughs> Let's have a great show. Yeah. Because yeah. that's – we're making pop music TV. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, like, when we, we're all tired and we're doing long days, we all remind ourselves that, you know, no offence to people who work in banks, but we're not working in a bank, man. Like, we're outside. This is awesome. Even if we're in the studio, it doesn't matter because we're just playing pretends, you know. Amazing. Um, so – 
and yeah, Harold and Lou. Uh, <laughs> the sh- the scene that I shot, I, I I was I was like a I can't even remember now. A chef? Were you a chef? No, I was someone's surprise date for a formal. Right, right. Really? Yeah, I was someone's surprise date for a formal. The whole storyline revolved around it was one scene in a kitchen in a um in a function room. Mm. And I spent, I'm going to say, four hours with, um, it's Ian and Tom, right? Yeah. Harold yeah. and Lou. They are possibly the two filthiest men I've <laughs> ever, ever heard. They really are. Ian Smith, Smithy, is, he's got a mouth on him that you, no one would ever realise. Because they both seem so cuddly and jolly and like your, your grandpa. We give them the character aspects of their Harold and Lou. They yeah. are these two wonderful, slightly doddery men. <laughs> oh, we just can't figure out what these young girls see in these men. <laughs> Cut. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was blushing. <laughs> They're great. They're great value, those guys. And, and yeah, I just think, I think, I also think actors like to take a big step away from their characters. So they, they make sure they, there is a distinction between the two. And I tell you what, they're very good at doing that. I'm going to circle back around. Later on, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other people you work with. But I really want to get to this. You and I have something in common. Mm-hmm. We're both immigrants. Yeah. We're both immigrants. But I came here under very different circumstances to how you came here. I came here on a plane... Um, with my mum from London, with my big brother in the seat next to me. Mm. And I'm really, when I asked you to come and do this, you yeah. said you were happy to talk yeah, about absolutely. it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really, really happy to talk about it because we used to go on the road with Channel V and you would pass the hours away on the bus and you would tell me these stories mm. about your youth. Mm. Um, so tell people. Well, I, I came out here on a plane too, except I was in a box. So... You know, during the fall of Saigon is when I came out. Um, I was in an orphanage. Um, and when Saigon was falling, they got the babies out. Um, so back when my mum the, – the story starts with my, my brother. My mum said to my brother, we're going to get you a little foster brother. And I don't know why, but he said he wanted a sister. And my, my mother's workmate had already adopted a Vietnamese little girl – from an orphanage over in Vietnam. And so mum thought that was interesting and asked her boss all about it and wrote a letter. I found all the letters and all the documents the other day and she wrote a letter saying, Dear Sister Nicole, these French Vietnamese sisters ran this Catholic orphanage in Saigon. And the letter was, you know, we believe that, you know, you may have some babies that need adopting and, and the letter goes on. Do you have a little girl, you know, possibly girl ages one to three that needs a home? And for some stroke of fate, she chose me. I don't know why. I don't know my birth parents at all. All I know is this life. Um, And so she chose me. And then as the war escalated, I found telegrams from my mother saying, you know, dear Sister Nicole, stop. Uh, the, The war in Vietnam is escalating. Stop. Please get Tai Phuong An, which was my Vietnamese name, um, out. Um... These amazing telegrams that went back and forth to make sure that I was on the plane because it was all above board. But it was all through the Australian government, um, so I made it onto a plane somehow. Um, and then when I came over here, my little armband was lost because all the babies were just put onto these planes so quickly, um, and they lost my armband. So my parents actually lost me. They didn't know where I was. Um, there was just this lost baby. And- 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And um, they had to get a private investigator from sent up from Canberra, sent up from the Australian government to look in all the hospitals to find me. Where, where were you? Little Bay Hospital over in Little Bay. Where's that? That is just near Maroubra. All right, so yeah. you're here. Right? Yeah. You're so my seen. parents were living... This is, this is amazing. So this is like people have seen all this footage, you know, they've seen the, the people scrambling to get on a helicopter off the roof of the American embassy. That's and, right, yeah. You know, it's a horrifying time. And yeah. so your birth parents went... We've got to give our kid a better chance. Yeah, is that what happened? Who knows? I mean, look, I, I sometimes I, 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 romant, I romanticize the whole thing, like I'm, I am Miss Saigon or something, you know, the mm. um, stage musical of like this beautiful sort of Madame Butterfly of sacrifice. But I'm not sure. Like, I actually spoke to someone who had made just previously a television show that's on air at the moment about this story, and she was sa- saying to me that. Um, a lot of the times the mothers put the children into the orphanages thinking that they'll be able to look after them a little better while to get better because I had scabies, I was very sick, and perhaps went back to get me and I was gone. No. We don't, we don't know. You'll never know that. I'll never know. And, look, uh, you know, I watch documentaries and read stuff that the communists say that it's like, it was like a stolen generation, that the Americans and the Australians came and took their children. But I wouldn't never see it like that. I see it as being saved and given a better better life and a, yeah. another chance because my life in in Vietnam, being already, I think, half-breed, um, I don't know how, how what my life would have been like as, an out, as a half-caste over there, you know. So, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to, to wonder sort of what life would have been like if I had stayed there. But So this PI comes up to Little Bay Hospital in Maroubra and he's looking for amongst... Hang on, you said you came in a box. What do you mean in a box? Well, because it was, it was. We apparently they just all shoved us on these planes um, quickly. Well, in like a, like a playpen that you would put in the living room, just shoved it on the back of a cargo plane. I, I think maybe you and twenty other kids. I'm not sure. I mean, we've seen. I've seen the big, the big Qantas flight jets that they, they've taken photos of. I mean, maybe we weren't all in boxes, but right. um, it was it was a fast and furious get those babies out. Yeah, right. Type scenario. So this PI hunts you down in this hospital. Mm. The rest right. is history. They 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 went and picked me up from the hospital like you would any other child and brought me back to be a part of this white family, this little eight-month-old Asian baby full of scars and scabies and very ill. Obviously, like every kid, 
certainly in my experience as well, like my house was normal and mm. it wasn't until I started spending time with other kids and socialising with other kids that I realised, oh, my parents speak different languages at home and we eat different food to everybody else and my mm. grandmother lives with us and, you know, you know I, only then did I start to realise that my house was different. I just thought everyone lived like I did, you know, because yeah. when you're a kid your universe ends at the end of every day and ends at the end of your yard. Yeah, yeah. So how old were you before you realised that, oh, hang on, this is different? I think I had to have known that everything was different from since I was a baby because it's, it was clear. I was, you know, I was clearly adopted. We couldn't pretend any other other way. Um, I think, you know, as maybe some, somewhere around year three when they were doing a head count of the, all the people who were Australian in the room and I wasn't there for some reason but my friend said to me that they put their hand up for me that I was Australian even though I looked different. That's when I kind of thought, but I am Australian, aren't I? I, I got really confused. Yeah. So those moments when you kind of, in my body, I feel like blonde head, blue eyed, when I look into the world, that's what I think people see. And then I walk past the mirror and go, oh, oh, my God, that's me, this Asian girl. I don't know who she is. Um, and that's how people see me if they don't know me. Like kids would used to throw stones at me because I was this ching chong. But I didn't understand why they were doing that because I, I wasn't. So, yeah, I think it's sort of as a child it's, it was really hard to understand how you fit in. You know, you, you sort of feel displaced in a way that you don't fit in anywhere, you know, um, because I don't fit in with Vietnamese people because I don't speak their language and I don't identify with them at all. Um, but when I was little, I didn't feel like I fit in with white people because um, they saw me as a, you know, an imposter. So it was hard to sort of grapple with that as you grow up. But then as you get older, you just go, well, this is me and this is the way, the way it is. Remember one of those stories you told me that just absolutely broke my heart it's when you turned up. You turned up at a restaurant. And they said, yeah, yeah. Table for table for four, and Dad goes, "Oh no, 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 she's with us," and put his arm around me. And that's when you just kind of go, "Yeah, I don't belong. I don't fit in there." Like, yeah. So heavy. Uh, it's so heavy. So just on that, you know, I I'm only in this country because. Um, this country allowed my parents to to immigrate. Well, my dad, mm. my mum was already an Australian citizen, but she was a refugee. She came out of, out of World War Two. She came to live here as a refugee, and then she went back to London to she went to London to study, and then met my dad there, and then they came back here because my grandfather got ill, and so my father was able to come back into the country. So I'm only here because Australia went, come on in. Mm. But we were white, you know. Mm. So and mm. my parents were both doctors, so they're like, sure, yeah, come, yeah. come on in. But even so, when I hear. And even when I was a kid, you know, when I, when I started to hear all that, you know, anti-immigration stuff, I was like, well, hang on a second. This, this country's – what did Ben Richardson say the other day? Ben Richardson, who was sitting right there, he said in 1867, more than half of the Australian population was of Chinese descent. Mm. Mm. You know, so what do you feel inside? Because I know what I feel. What do you feel inside when you hear things like stop the boats? Uh, outraged. I'm outraged and embarrassed that we can be – that this society has become so ignorant and – closed-minded that we can't embrace difference. I feel like we've regressed. We're, we're going backwards. And I think to myself, that could have been me, you know. 
So, yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed. You would have had to actually sit and talk to each other because Home and Away and Neighbours wouldn't have been on air because <laughs> Jet Wilkinson <laughs> wouldn't have been rescued out of Vietnam and would have been able to make your favourite show. Yeah, exactly. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, now... I've just So when I was getting ready to do this interview, I was thinking about the things we used to... Because we used to sit on that bus. Okay, so Jet and I used to work at a music station called Channel V, and it was uh, it was super fun. Mm. It was incredible fun. We were basically just playing rock and roll like we were in the band. And we would do a thing in the summer times. We would get a big bus that slept eight people, ten people. Um, we would get a staging truck that folded down. We'd get a whole bunch of vans, minivans, and fill them full of band and crew and go around the country. Mm. And just put on shows. We just plug three prosumer grade digital cameras into the back of a satellite <laughs> dish and go live for two hours. That was just like crazy guerrilla renegade sort of television making. And I loved it. I loved every second. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you get sort of caught up in sort of the way you've got to make something and it's got to ha- pass all these rules and all these regulations and doesn't necessarily make it any better than just picking up three handicams and shooting the shit out of something and just getting some gold that's unplanned. That's, I think that's life. If you're open to just anything that can happen, so much more will come. Rather, if you plan every minute of your life, it's not, things aren't perfect. Life isn't perfect. And that's how I saw V. Like, V was just like point and shoot. And you got some great, we got some great stuff. And we had so much fun, you know. Yeah. And, and we were often like, no lie, we were often three to four hundred kilometres from our next stop. Yeah. So we would sit on this bus for hours. We would, but we'd also share hotel rooms. Yeah. Which you just don't do that, well, in the shows I do now. You don't, that's not, so you're not allowed budgets. to do that. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> we didn't have budgets back then. We'd all, we'd all camp in together. It was just, it was kind of like, it was kind of like school or something. Yeah, we were on summer camp with satellite <laughs> dishes. Uh, but I remember. You telling me a really, really interesting story about when you were a kid and you, was it used to spend each lunch hour, was it holding the hand of the teacher? Right. Was it that teacher or there was something, there was something about you and a teacher. Did I have a crush on her? Yeah. I probably had a crush on her and it was just really weird because at the time you don't think it's a crush. But I would, every time she was on playground duty, I would walk around with her. And if she wasn't on playground duty, I would just stand, stand and stare into the classroom and just like hope she'd come out. But at the time, you're not going to think anything of that, you know. And when I said, and then as life goes on and you start having best friends that you just love and you just love hanging out and you just think about your best friend all the time. And then my mum would go, yeah, when she comes over, like, What's going on? It's like nothing, nothing. And mum and mum go, you know, that's cool because Anne of Green Gables was like held hands with her best friend, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's all it is. And so mum would kind of be okay with it. And I didn't even know, and nothing ever happened, but I just didn't know what those feelings were back in those days. I mean, it would be different now. Um, But, you know, all these things that happen in your life, like, you know, you're sort of, you're the one that's different in the group in every possible way, you know, you're Asian and you kind of like girls, it's kind of like you just accept it and you just sort of until until other people start making a big deal of it is when you kind of go, oh, I think this is a problem. Because uh, it's so – I was thinking about this last night. So I remember the moment. I think I was seven 
bless my father's heart. My father was very much about wanting to open us up culturally. He was mm. like, what are we doing in this Brisbane? It's a bloody backwater. Let's fill your heads with culture, kids, like as our defence against the kind of pride and ignorance that was going on in Brisbane at the time. It's not like that right now, but this is like late 70s, early mm. 80s. Brisbane was like, ah, it's footy and pies. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he took us to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show right. at the Chanel Theatre at the University of Queensland campus. So it's kind of the weird arty theatre the students go to. I was seven and it was that amazing final scene where they're all in the pool mm-hmm. and Frank and Furter's give yourself over <laughs> to absolute pleasure. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I kind of find that sexy. But he's a man, so it's, he's dressed as a woman. Yeah. It's kind of sexy. And then Susan Sarandon, a nipple pops out of Susan Sarandon's top and she starts making out with little Nell. So I'm like, oh, there's a nipple and two girls kissing? And then I f- my tummy, inside my tummy, <laughs> felt like I was at the top of a swing. I was like, ooh, what's happening here? <laughs> and so because heterosexuality is so out there, it was like I was so easily able to identify with that. It was like, oh, oh, it's that. Yeah. I like girls. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I like girls, but I didn't think it was a problem. Right. And then I realised I probably shouldn't be and tried to like boys and it just didn't happen, you know. And Yeah, I tried that too. It didn't work out. Yeah. you got to dip your toe in the Well, I tried, you know. <laughs> Um, but all weird things happened too when I was younger and I'd try on my dad's ties. Yeah. So they'd be all downstairs watching telly and I'd go into his cupboard and start trying on shirts and ties and then I'd hear someone, uh, the creak in the stairs and quickly take off the tie and put it back in the cupboard. Wow. That is in essence a kind of cross-dressing because, I mean, you know, girls can wear pants and jeans and all that type of stuff. So I feel like I've been cross-dressing all my life. I feel yeah. like I've been kind of all, all out of kilter in a way where it's sort of like this, when I was talking before about walking past the mirror and kind of seeing like an Asian person, I also imagine myself as a man. Mm. Like a lot of the times I always identified with, I thought how men think like in terms of girls, in terms of sport, in terms of lots of different things. Mm. <laughs> well, not sport for all men, but... I, I just associated myself with my family as like a boy. Mm-hmm. And so it was all very confusing when I felt like a white boy and I'd walk past the mirror and I'm this Asian girl. It was all really fucked up. It was just like the, the you know, recipe for disaster. But I think through actually working your way through trying to accept who you are and like who you are, you sort of grow as a person or, you know, you certainly learn how to accept others as well more than maybe if you were just born into this body which was ABC, one, two, three, mm. this is how life is. So that's when you kind of go, oh, no, this is really cool. Life is just different. Life isn't any one thing and I certainly ain't any one of those things. So I'm going to embrace everyone and everything. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's so, that's so great to hear you say that. I mean, it's only just But I know, I know it wasn't a, you know, I know it wasn't a, an easy path for you, though. I know that was a bit tumultuous coming yeah. to that point of peace. Yeah. Oh, and you know, thirty nine years and and peace has only only just only just come. You know, it takes a long time, and you and you you still get head up about so many things and being good enough. And but it's a whole other thing that's nothing to do with. Like, just honestly, I really should acknowledge you for just what you just said there about how much just the way you you've just described 
an inner peace that I wish I could have about who you are and yourself. You know, you describe what you see in the mirror and I, I can't stand what I see in the mirror. And, you know, you describe, I guess maybe because it was, you had to push against it or it was forced upon you. I don't know if I'm eloquent, being eloquent enough, but the way you just described your inner peace is just something that I, I just strive for. Yeah. It's particularly in the last few few years, particularly after my divorce and everything, it's been really work <laughs> i'll tell yeah, you that yeah um you know and, and that's like a whole part of changing my name and everything has really been a, you know really into that yeah but i was actually thinking about you actually too a lot lately and about sort of that you've lived life you've lived hard you've 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 loved you've lost you've lived sometimes i feel like i don't know if i have actually done that like i feel like i've just sort of coasted and I haven't taken massive risks to because I'm scared. I'm scared of failure. So I just take, I said to my partner last night, I think I'm just upper middle. And I'll always be upper middle. Do you know what I mean? When, when, when we talk about life lessons, I just kind of go, I don't know if I've, I've got any massive life lessons because I've just kind of cruised. Do you know what I mean? I haven't taken massive risks. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Vietnamese refugee, <laughs> a half-caste lesbian, <laughs> working in a white man's industry. Yeah. See, yeah, but I don't, that's the thing. And crushing. I, I crushing. I don't ever, when I go to work, I, those things are never in my mind. You just do it. Yeah. You know, you don't go, hello, I'm a half-caste lesbian, I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because <laughs> people say to me, Oh, how's it? What's it like being a female in in the in the television industry? You know, it's a man's world. I go. I don't even think about that because mm. if you carry that weight on your shoulders, that sort of chip, then it's it's ugly. Mm. You know. So I just trust that people go. They'll hire Jet because they know she'll do the job. They'll hire Ben Smith because he'll do a good job. Not because Ben Smith's white and ma- a male. Um, it's because Ben Smith's a good dude and he'll yeah. get the job done. Yeah, right. So I don't think there's any point. It's such a waste of energy to kind of go, oh, fuck Ben Smith because he's a white guy. He's a white guy and he's getting all the jobs. Yeah. I just go, it's concentrate on what I'm doing and just do a good job, you know, same with life. And just... you, you wouldn't have done 193 episodes of Neighbours, 93 episodes of Home and Away and countless hours of other television if you weren't exceptional at what you do. I mean, these people, they're basically putting this millions of dollars in your hands going, here's how much money we've spent to get the crew, the set, the script, the actors, blah, blah, blah. At the end of eight hours, we need this shit on film. Mm, mm. Go. Yeah. And you make it happen. And honestly, if I recall correctly, that day that we did Neighbours together, um, we were out an hour early. <laughs> under, under budget and, and under time. You never go into turnaround. Yeah. You, well, you're, you're amazing. I, I, I do try and keep all that into consideration. I mean, I like to shoot a schedule, but that's I love to go fast. Like, yeah. I went through a shrink once going, I'm fucked because... I'm so stressed out. Like all I do is like a, my, I look at my, my watch all the time and I'm such a highly strong person. It's got to be bad. And they said, seems like you're in the perfect job. If you're in a job that you've got to look at your watch all the time and stick to a schedule and you like to go fast, says to me you're in the perfect, the perfect job. Right. I thought, that's excellent advice. So now I just embrace it. I go, I'm always looking at my watch, always getting us ahead. The minute we start and block one scene, I'm on to the next one. Yeah. People are saying to me, oh, we can't keep up. It's like fucking slow down, man. Like I still try, try my best and everyone's best to get the best 
results, don't get me wrong, I'm not rushing through and getting something shit, you get something really good. And I think if you keep that energy, you like you, you get the best, you get the best um, results. You know, take 10, ain't going to get a, a great result. It's first take. Yeah. It's got to be. It's never, never as good the second time. That's right. It's never as That's good the right. second time. And the first take's great because you've done it 400 times before you roll. Yeah. That's the other thing yeah. people have to understand. Mm. Like you've got it, you can work out every kink of the delivery. Yeah. And you nuance it and nuance it and hone it and hone it and get it ready and focus it and get it just ready to launch and you're pulling the slingshot back when they call action, you let it go. Yeah. It's never that good the second time. But speaking of getting on in on time though, I remember I was actually talking about this with a mutual friend of ours going and we did refer, refer to you at this time as G because that's who no, you G were back then. G okay, G still, still works. works. Okay, we're like, man, those fucking links. G would always get you home if we were like scooting towards the end and we like had to do a link in like ninety-seven seconds. G would do it to the second and get you home. Like we could always rely on you. Like we loved it, and that's was so inspiring because we all it was like great sex. We just all fucking come together at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> and it's. The best. That's what yeah. live TV is pretty <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, I'm getting goosebumps just even thinking about oh, live TV. Yeah. But all that is, that's, that's – I did four years, four and a half years of six mid-dawns a week yeah. doing it yeah. every single day and being bad at it and getting it wrong yep. and being bad at it. And then, you know, it's just – practice which i love yeah i love i love it when that people say that oh, we've only got 47 seconds we need to get this credit away and we need to roll 17 seconds of footage that's cool just count me down but 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 just count me down give me yeah. a visual count because if i get it in my ear it kind of gets a bit tricky if i'm listening to things at the same time so give me a visual count i'll get you out yeah oh totally and go it's my favorite i could see that on idol though i could see all this craziness around you and you were just rock solid <laughs> rock solid yeah it was so so much fun now we touched on this and you just mentioned her but um, so when I met you, I'd just broken up with a girlfriend of seven years and I was just insane. And then I met my then future wife while I was working with you. Uh, we stopped working together, but we were working. We did that Neighbours episode just before I proposed to her. Um, then we got married. Then we got unmarried. You've been with the same woman the whole time. Yeah. What's your secret? Oh, I think... Well, it's been so it's fourteen years this year. That's amazing. And someone, like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. If, <laughs> we need to fucking get married, man. Look at any relationship around you. Find one that's lasted fourteen years. Yeah. Just find one straight relationship that's lasted fourteen years. That is amazing. Well, someone said to me the other work the other day at work. They said, "How long have you been together with Christy?" And I said, 14 years." And they went, 14 years." My God, it just sounds like you've been like, like it's a new relationship still. The way you talk about her feels like it's brand new. And I was really like, does. "Oh, that's really sweet." Is that the key? Um, I think the key is well, we had a huge sort of you know big sort of problem over the last year, sort of reassessing what we want in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's you just got to stick with stick with it. Where you kind of go, no, you are the person I want to invest the rest of my life with because I because everything you are I aspire to at the same time as loving who you are makes me love myself and it all works as one you know what I mean yeah it yeah and I just Where were you two years ago Jen Wilkins or three by now Oh, I was there for you. I was there for you in 2004. We, 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 we should have had babies. Don't get divorced, babe. 
it's really fucked. Yeah. It really hurts. Yeah. And it, like, it has given me a great opportunity to, I wouldn't be who I am right now. And I honestly say this after someone who got divorced uh, and, you know, lost a house and then kind of got unemployed and all kinds of stuff. I am the happiest I've ever been yeah. since you've known me at this point, this moment right now sitting here with you. I would not be this place had I not had that opportunity to look at, whoa, hang on a second, uh, this incredible sports car has broken down on the side of the road rather than be angry and just try and push it into the mud. Let's just take it apart and see what things we don't need. Anymore. Yeah. And I've managed to put things back together and slowly, slowly, it's a work in progress. But Yeah. So I'm grateful for that gift. Yeah. But still. It is, but that's why I love you. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about where you are open to tasting life and then open to going, fuck that hurt, but let's get back up. And I suppose yeah. that is in the human spirit, but you especially to kind of do that. You well, know? I'm, I'm, I'm just, honestly, I, I don't know how many guys can say they're grateful they got divorced. But I, obviously, I wouldn't. I wish it didn't happen. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I, I'm grateful for it, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for who I am because of the time I spent with this woman. Yeah. You know, really, really, I wouldn't be where I am right now. That's why you'll be so rich in life, though, if that you can come through that. You know. I'll get stay working progress. Working mm. progress. Um, yeah, there's two more things I want to get to. Let's just work back, loop back to your work. Home and away, and I live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Home and away and neighbours are just now becoming known over there, particularly home and away, as yeah. just a factory for superstars. Mm. Because you're giving young actors the opportunity to just work every day. Work, yeah, work, yeah. work, work, get in the woodshed, get, yep. get there, just do it over and over and over and over again. Get that. I, I like to, uh, uh, the analogy I like is like it's like you're taking a matchstick. Or a knitting needle and putting it in sandstone and just grooving it. Mm-hmm. It's making that groove. Nice. And you just got to do it again and again. But after a year, you're like, well, look at that. Mm. Something's happening. Yeah. And then two years, three years, and after a while, it's just, there it is. It's carved in stone. Yeah. But you can't just walk into it. So who has been – you've worked with pretty much – I was looking last night on your IMDb. You've worked with pretty much every household name of Australian acting in the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. I have I have to admit though I've um sadly missed out on working with Chris Hemsworth. Um he was in a period of time which I think I may have been either at V or at Neighbours. Um but I've heard he's like an ace guy. Um people like Ryan Quanton I've worked with who you know at the time you kind of know these guys have got the that's what I that's the kind of question I wanted to ask you is like do you know? Yeah. Even then do you know yeah. when they're just 19 years old? Yeah. You just, I just knew that Ryan Quanton had that X factor. We just knew he had something, and it's something I think you're born with. I actually don't think you can teach it. Um, that talent that just takes, puts another level, takes it somewhere else that you could only ever dream of in scenes. He would elevate scenes be, above and beyond. Hang on a sec. Someone's FaceTiming me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't talk to you, buddy. Sorry, not right now. Um, sorry, in scenes he would? In scenes he would just take it to places that you wouldn't even, it's, that weren't on the page, that you would, couldn't even ask him to do. He would just, he would just do it. His mere presence would just, standing there, he would do something while standing that you kind of go, that's fucking hilarious. How did he come up with that? And I think it's just in, it was in his blood. So I knew that when, when that happened with True Blood and his success over there, that wasn't a surprise to me at all. Um, and same with someone like, um, I mean, Melissa George was a hard worker. 
she was always, I think she always had, she was so focused and so clear on what she wanted to do and where she wanted to go. Mm. I think those, those kids work hard and, and they sacrifice a lot. You know, when she left home and away, she went over to the States, left her family. These days, kids can actually still get those careers and stay here because, you know, with the power of the internet, you can just send across auditions mm. on the computer. But, yeah, you know. Mia, Mia Wasikowska sent a tape for entreatment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you probably should be there, and a lot of people do go over there still, but you, you don't have to anymore. There's other ways. But, you know, she packed up and well, she went over there with her swag and started again, I suppose. And same so with, what about on the other end of things? When you get to work with, oh, let's say, for example, an actor like Michael Caton, when you meet him for the first time, do you go, oh, right, that's why you're who you are? I certainly felt like that with Rebecca Gibney. Um, you know, I hadn't really watched Rafter's a lot. It's packed to the rafters, the, the Australian rafters. show that we're talking about, which is another just star factory, basically. Yeah. And when I met and worked with Beck Gibney, I fell completely in love. Like, she was beautiful, the most beautiful woman that you'd ever meet sort of as an actor and as a woman. So I, I sort of felt that with her. Um, Michael Caton was, was divine as well. They all were. But um, especially with Beck, I could see why Australia loves Rebecca Gibney because she's just divine. You know, yeah, right. And yeah. what about, um, like, you're working on, on Wonderland. Have you, have mm. you wrapped that? I just wrapped in yesterday in studio. Oh, wow, awesome. Yeah. So you're working on, on, on Wonderland and you're working with, uh, like, say, for example, someone like is it Jess Toovey. Mm-hmm. Someone who's grown up on Australian screens. Yep. What is that, what is that, how does that change an actor when they come to work with you? Someone who's been, like, was a kid, was the, the youngest yeah. daughter of the family on Home and Away and is now yep. in 20. I think it makes them resilient and smart. I mean, Jessica Tovey is so smart, it's crazy. Like, she's 25 and she's got the brain of, like, a 40-year-old. Like, there's so much packed in her brain that I just, it explodes. She's so... She brings so much intelligence to any conversation, let alone a script and a scene. Mm. I think her alone, again, with that X factor, she's just amazing anyway. But with the training of something like Home and Away, they become resilient. They know how to make things work. They know how to get things done. There's a certain, there's a certain sort of system that an actor should be able to be a part of when it comes to fast turnaround television, but at the same time bring a level of intelligence to a script. So she's the whole, she's the full package. You know, she's, she's got everything you would want to, she's like a whole little bag of tricks. You know, everyone is sort of, some bags are less full and heavy than others. Hers is so full you have to drag it because it's, it's, there's so much in her bag of tricks. All right, the final actor I want to ask you about is because I'm a total fanboy of Sean McAuliffe. You yes. Work, you work with Sean McAuliffe mm. on, a, on a show called Mr. and Mrs. Murder. Mm-hmm. Sean McAuliffe is, in my opinion, one of the smartest, most incredible actors, presenters, anything this country's ever put out. And he wrote the show. Yeah. What was it like working with? Because often when you're doing Home and Away and stuff like that, the actors they, they never write it. Mm. You know. So mm. what was it like? How did that process change you? And what's it like working with someone who's just just a savant of comedy? Um, talking about full brains, like Sean McAuliffe's brain is so full. He, he's such a smart guy that it, you feel like you're running on a you sort of you're running to catch up with him. I felt like I was running to catch up with him. Because, you who was like slow down jet. Yeah, it, well, because his brain was sort of I was almost sort of on this level that I didn't. He was speaking sort of like um, Mork and Mindy. What's Mork? Where does Mork come from? Orc. Orc. Sometimes Mork. I feel like he was Mork from Orc. Like I'd go, what? I, I don't understand. And then I'd burst 
burst out laughing because he's so funny. So in some ways it was a real challenge where you just kind of go, I don't understand where, where we're going. But then on other levels you kind of go, well, but I'm just going to go with it because this is so exciting and fresh, you know. So it that that show was, there was a real challenge because there were other, there were script writers and script producers writing the, writing the eps, but then he would do the Sean McAuliffe pass and then he would rewrite or re, reshape. And so it would sort of then it would be hard to sometimes then get onto set and try and take it in a certain direction if then he had an idea of where he wanted it to go and he would go with you because he respected the role of the director um, and respected me. But it would, you know, it would, uh, it was a challenge. But amazing A result. great challenge, a great challenge. And the result was great. Again, it's, I think with any tough, challenging situation, you come through it and you're a much better person for it. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been incredible, having mm. this chance to sit down. And I'm, I'm, when I first thought about the idea of having this show, you were one of the guests. I'm like, I have to get you on because of the role you play in the popular cultural nar- narrative of this country and that people are seeing these stories and these people that they're following along every day through your eyes and where you came from mm. is super important. Uh, for me, it's like a double-barreled. Yeah. Plus, you're super inspiring. <laughs> but I did ask you to do some homework. I wanted to know what are some lessons that you may have learned along the way that you possibly would like to uh, tell yourself as a younger a younger person, or you know, say for example, you're forging this trail through the forest. What would things you'd like to yell back to the yeah. folks behind you? Is there any 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 lessons that you you've had to think about? I've thought about it so much. I thought about it a lot, and I have been. Uh, this podcast was kind of talking about you know, risks that you take or risks that you don't take and sort of upper middle and, you know, the one level and that kind of thing. I haven't made the biggest mistakes where I kind of look back and kind of go, fuck, I'd never do that again. I've just had this life where I kind of go, every day is a lesson and every day I'm learning, but there's never been one definitive moment where I kind of go, yep, I'm never doing that again. Or yep, hey, future self, watch out for that pothole because I kind of like every mistake I've made and every time I've gotten back up out of it, I would never look back on my early self and go, be careful of 2010 because you'll fuck that up because I need to fuck that up in 2010. So mm-hmm. I would never say back to me, Caref- you know, watch out for that pothole. You know what I mean? I, I kind of like that every day is something new. You know what I mean? Didn't make any but sense. But that's a lesson in itself. That's a lesson what in itself. What you're saying, you're, yeah. you're, you're, ex- you're a lesson in itself. It's like... You're not drowning under the waves. You're surfing with them. Yeah, absolutely. Just go with it. Like I just have... And you're taking it as a lesson. You're not taking like... Uh, I I'm, I'm have a spiritual teacher he's in, in LA. He's pretty ace. Yeah. And uh, he, you know, he just had to really explain it to me one day. He had to really break it down and say, listen, buddy, things happen for you, not to you. Yeah, that's right. My, my niece is a kinesiologist, a kinesiologist and we often do work on me to sort of learn how to let things go, learn how to be open, learn how to sort of take things day by day. And because, you know, you can get so caught up in stressing about what hasn't come or what, what has been and you just got to sit in peace with today, you know, to be able to then go forward and to be open to what's possible, you know, and to embrace what's been. You're amazing, Jet Wilkinson. You're amazing. I'm so happy you came here. Um, you can follow Jet on Twitter at Jet Wilkinson uh, for excellent photos of cats and dogs. <laughs> Great photos from set of all your favourite TV shows. 
and hopefully soon photos of uh, you working in London. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Let's maybe. do it. Yeah. Be yours. Come over to LA. I'd love to come to LA. Come and you can come and stay with me in Venice. It's yeah. totally cool. I'll yeah. sleep on the couch. You and the missus can have my bed. It's a super comfy bed. Yeah, right. Um, That'd be nice. And we could maybe shoot some Breaking Bad or something like that. Oh, you know what? If you come to America and you want to go to New Mexico and do the tour of Albuquerque, I'm down. Oh, wow. You can do that now? Yeah, you can drive around and see can. Yeah. where they shot everything. Yeah, cool. And everyone. Yeah. Out <laughs> <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> um, Jay Wilkinson, you are an a national treasure. And oh, I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, Osha. <laughs> it's okay. G. <laughs> and now we can breathe. That's Jet Wilkinson. Amazing, isn't she? Just what a woman. At Jet Wilkinson. You can find her on Twitter. Let her know you heard her here. If you like the show, if you're comfortable to do it, please hit share on whatever app you're listening to this on or copy the URL if you're listening on a website and pop it in a Facebook or a tweet. And please let your people know that they that you listened to this show and you enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'm not kidding when I told Jet this is the show I always dreamed of making and I couldn't make it if people didn't listen. And so many of you listen. I'm very grateful that I get to make more great episodes on the way. Um, I interviewed Quentin Kennehan this week. That is amazing. I cannot wait for you to hear that. And um, pulling out the big guns. Dr. Carl is going to come on the show. That's pretty awesome. Some great conversations to come. I'm really glad you could be a part of it. If you don't want to miss an episode, just subscribe in iTunes. And we're always here. I'm always here. Why do I say we? Maybe it's because I've got the dog below me. Um, This week, uh, my alarm's going off at 3.45 in the morning again. uh, Riding my bicycle into Nova 969 in Sydney. I enjoy riding my bicycle around Sydney a lot. It's really good. And then straight into yoga. Look, if I fall asleep, by the way, if you see me in yoga and I'm asleep, in Supta Bhada Konasana. Just, just give me a nudge when the teacher walks in. I'm sorry. That's when I hit that mat. It's like it's a little bit of peace. And if I, if I haven't got much sleep from doing Brecky Radio, I can, I can slip away. <laughs> uh, and I apologize for my sweating because God damn, I sweat a lot. <laughs> That's, sorry to leave you with that visual. <laughs> Oops. I'm really stoked you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, have a beautiful week. Sleep well, dream of beautiful things, and um, I'll see you next Monday. Thanks a lot. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.